How y'all doing that? Show like to thank y'all for stopping by for another episode of this Removing the Illusion Pie Talk here, man. Let me tell y'all. Now, y'all know before we get started, I always like to tell y'all what I'm smoking on. And tonight, I'm smoking on a brick house short torpedo. Look at here, man. Before I tell y'all what I think about this stick, I'm going to read what these people say about this stick. Then I'm going to give y'all my opinion. Now, they say this brick house is a gorgeous Nicaraguan puro crafted with a dark reddish brown Habana wrapper and a robust blend of Nicaraguan long fillers. The result is a medium to full body cigar that's rich, flavorful, and smooth. Notes of earth, cedar, pepper, and coffee are complemented by a toasty, slightly sweet finish. Well made too, tasty, and modestly priced. Now, let me tell y'all something. I find this to be a good little stick here. I'm really, really enjoying the smoke. Now, it's only about a 5.5, so to me, this is a good cigar. I feel like if you got an hour, hour and a half, somebody had to kill, or, you know, you're riding on your motorbike, or you're going somewhere, and you just want to smoke your cigar, and you maybe have to discard half of it or something like that, this is a good stick, and not worried about the price point. Now, I got it for around about $5, because Roz had a sale up there, and I, and I got a couple of these little short jobbies, you know, just in case I wanted quick smoke, and I didn't, you know, and I couldn't smoke at all, I don't feel bad about, you know, throwing five, you know, uh, I would have half a five dollars, two dollars fifty cent away if I got to discard it right quick. But it is a good little smoke. Now they say all these flavors and stuff like that. I ain't taste none of that. I ain't taste no uh, 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 cedar earth. I don't know what earth uh, tastes like anyway. I ain't taste no peppers and no coffees, and I ain't taste none of that, that stuff. But what I did taste was I did taste a good smooth cigar. Now the one thing about it is that it doesn't burn evenly. I had to keep lighting the edges on it so it doesn't have an even burn to it but it stays lit now the draw it had a nice smooth draw but it is a torpedo so you mess around with these torpedoes it's all about how you cut a torpedo so but i did get a nice a nice smooth draw out of it again uneven burn but i really enjoyed this stick it was nice and smooth and it did have a creamy smooth taste to it so you guys get a chance, you know, go to your local cigar spot first and see if you can find this Brick House short torpedo or any type of Brick House and check it out. See what you think about it. If you want to go online to CI or host or something like that, y'all go on there and get your, you know, order your bulk cigars for your humidors. But always support your local cigar spot first. All right. Now, look here. Got something I want to talk to y'all about tonight. Something that's going to be on my mind because I was at Joanne Fabrics. Well, you know, I well, yes, I do. I goes to Joanne Fabrics. I goes there because I like to I like to do a lot of crafting and stuff like that. Kind of keep my mind at ease, you know, and focused on things. But I was sitting out there in the parking lot, and right when you turn into Joanne Fabrics on the left hand side, there's an Amscot. And that Amscot parking lot was just full. Man, I thought they was having a disco in there, like it was Studio 54 or something was going on over there. People was in there, I think they were probably getting them payday loans or something like that, because I know they ain't paying their bills, they're getting them payday loans. And that's what Amscot is. Amscot, you know, you may go up there and pay your light bill and get your check cash, but that place is a payday loan. And I call them payday loan folks, loan sharks. So I got to thinking about it. I said, you know what? Before I call them payday loan folks, uh, 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 loan sharks, or give them any kind of derogatory name, I need to educate myself first because I shouldn't be talking about anything unless I educate myself first. So y'all know what I did. I went to educate myself. So right now, what I want to share with y'all, we're going to take a look at these payday loans. How payday loans operate? How payday loans got started? How do payday loans compare to loan sharking? We're going to get in this thing. And while y'all listen to this, 
I'm going to go back on my porch and finish this other head of this brick house. And I'm going to catch up with y'all on the flip side, all right? Y'all take a listen to this, all right now. Let's take a look at payday loans. Are payday loans ideal for you? We take an in-depth look at the payday loans industry. Are you short on cash this month? Are you considering applying for a payday loan? Before you commit yourself to a binding legal agreement to pay a creditor, you should think about the deal. Payday loans serve their place in the world of financial instruments. However, they come with a set of terms and conditions that are not favorable to the consumer. A payday loan has its pros and cons like any other debt. It could help you out of a tight financial spot, or it could cost you more than you expect. Let's unpack payday loans to decide if they are ever a good idea when it comes to loaning money. Online Payday Loans We have covered a number of companies which offer payday loans online, these companies will provide short-term installment loans if you need one in a hurry. Read through our reviews to see if one is suitable for you. What is a payday loan? A payday loan is a financial instrument offered by micro-lenders. Banks don't get involved in the payday loan market, they feel it's too risky, and the chances of default are high. Payday lenders have insurance coverage to mitigate the risk of lending to unqualified borrowers. In the case of a default, a policy with a company like AIG, one of the biggest insurance underwriters in the world, covers the lender's asset. A payday loan is a short-term loan that you pay back to the lender with your next paycheck. Payday loans are incredibly popular in the United States, and every state has multiple payday lenders available. Around 12 million Americans apply for a payday loan each year. The payday loan market has a value of nearly $10 million, and more than 11% of the population says they used a payday loan at some point in the last two years. Lenders issue payday loans for small amounts, with the average loan size being between $500 to $1,000. The average age group for using payday loans is between 25 to 49 years old, with African Americans being twice as likely to take out a payday loan compared to other race groups. Typically, people who take payday loans earn between $15,000 to $25,000 per year, and they have no college education. Statistics show that renters are twice as likely to use payday loans. Divorcees are more likely to use the facility than married couples as well. People who utilize payday loans cite financial hardship and unforeseen expenses as their reason for needing money quickly. More than 69% of all borrowers state that they use the money to pay for cash shortfalls in their monthly budget. The borrowers spend the funds on their credit card bills, or to cover utilities, food, and rent. Most payday lenders advertise the service as money to cover emergency expenses. However, the research shows that only 16% of all borrowers use the money for this reason. Most borrowers visit a storefront location to apply for their loan, with the highest demographic for loans being the southern states. Why don't banks offer payday loans? When a bank loans you money, it needs to follow the procedure. The loan manager will review your credit report to look at your FICO score. Your credit report is an assessment of your financial responsibility to lenders. If you have outstanding collection notices and a weak FICO score, then the chances of the manager approving your loan facility are non-existent. Banks also don't like to loan small amounts to customers. They prefer that clients use a facilitated instrument, such as a credit card, to bridge their cash position during the month. In the past, banks and private lenders would flood the market advertising credit cards to anyone. However, today, you need good credit, proof of income, and a good credit score to qualify for a credit card. In the wake of the 2008 Great Financial Crisis, banks are more stringent with lending to consumers. However, consumer debt is well over $14 trillion as of Q4 2019. Since the average American has a FICO score of 695, banks aren't interested in taking on the riskier subprime market. Instead, they leave it to the micro-lenders. 
If you have a low credit score, and you need money, a payday loan might be your only option. What do you need to qualify for a payday loan? Most payday lenders only require your social security number to qualify for a loan. In some cases, the lender may ask for proof of income, and you may have to provide them with a copy of your payslip. Payday lenders don't loan substantial amounts to consumers, and they help them mitigate risk in the deal. The business model works on the idea that consumers will pay off the debt before other creditors at the end of the month, due to the high interest rates involved with taking the facility. Do you need a good credit score for a payday loan? As mentioned, banks check your credit score when applying for a credit card facility or a personal loan. Your credit score consists of five weighted factors that show your level of responsibility in handling credit. Payment history, do you pay your creditors on time? Late payments affect your credit score. Age of credit, how old are your credit accounts? Banks like to loan money to people that have a history of successfully paying their creditors. Credit mix, banks prefer if you have numerous forms of credit, such as a mortgage, student loans, and auto loans. The lender views this behavior as showing you know how to manage your debts. New credit applications, the banks don't like it if you have too many hard inquiries into your credit report. This behavior shows that you are desperate for a loan or credit facility. Credit utilization ratio, this factor shows how much of your credit facility is currently in use. Banks want to see you use less than 30% of your available credit. Therefore, if you have a credit card with a $3,000 limit, it's best if you don't have more than $1,000 charged to the card. The combination of these factors creates your FICO credit score. Banks rely heavily on your credit score when assessing you for a new loan facility. If your score is 800 plus, then you can expect to get the best terms from the bank for your loan. If your score is between 680 and 750, you have average credit and may receive a loan at a higher APR than those with excellent credit scores. However, if you have a subprime credit score below 670, lenders may refuse you a credit facility, or offer you very high APR. So, where does that leave people with average or subprime credit scores that are looking for a loan? These individuals have to go into the private lending market to source the funds they need. Private microlenders don't have to follow the same procedures as big banks when qualifying a customer for a loan. As a result of the relaxed criteria, it's possible to get a payday loan without good credit. In most cases, the only qualifying criteria are that the borrower has a job. All it takes is a payslip for proof of income, and the customer gets the money they need. What APR does a payday lender charge? Payday loans sound like a great idea so far. Lenders don't check your credit score, and you get cash deposited directly into your bank account within 24 hours. The problem with payday lenders is the APR they charge on loans. APR stands for annual percentage rate, and it's how payday lenders make their money. In most cases, an unsecured credit card facility can have an interest rate that's as high as 24%. This APR of 24% means that you're paying back $24 in interest fees for every $100 you borrow. Some cards have introductory periods where you don't pay any APR and then switch to a higher rate after the initial period expires. Most secured credit facilities will charge between 15-16% to 16 interest per annum. This amount doesn't include account fees, card fees, and any other costs involved with the management of the facility by the lender. What is a predatory lender? Here's the shocker. Studies by the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, CFPB, show that the average APR on a payday loan is around 400%. That figure is nearly 17 times what you would pay for the most expensive credit facility at a bank. In some southern states, such as Texas, Ohio, and Utah have APR costs approaching 700%. Payday lenders charge such high interest rates for a reason. These micro-lenders are participating in a high-risk market that has a high delinquency rate. 
The subprime lending market almost ruined the economy in 2008, and that's one of the reasons why banks don't take a risk in this market anymore. In return for taking the risk of loaning you money, payday lenders believe they have the right to charge these high APRs. Question a payday lender about ethics, and they will tell you they clearly state all of the terms and conditions, along with APR on the loan agreements. This statement is accurate, and the Financial Services Board requires all lenders to make the consumer fully aware of their rights, as well as the terms and conditions of the contract. However, the issue is that consumers often don't bother to read the terms and conditions of the loan before signing the agreement. Consumers care about getting the money as soon as possible to cover their cash shortfalls, and they'll worry about the costs of the loan later. Unfortunately, borrowers don't have an understanding of how this interest rate adds up to a monstrous debt in a short period. As an example, if we take a payday loan for $500 at an APR of 391%, you'll owe the lender $575 two weeks later. Many consumers find that they don't have the money to pay the loan and choose a rollover. Often, they don't realize that a rollover cost is going to leave them owing over $1,000 in less than three months. Rollovers are a regular occurrence. Despite the high costs involved with loaning money from payday lenders, many people decide to roll over their loans. Studies by the CFPB show that more than 80% of all payday loans are in a rollover. Further research also indicates that the average payday loan user takes around 10 loans per year, and spends nearly 200 days of the year in debt. The cost of the loan takes it longer to recover their budget, forcing them to take on more loans. As a result, the borrower finds themselves in a vicious debt cycle that's challenging to escape. Some studies show that the interest on payday loans can account for as much as 36% of a borrower's annual salary. Payday lenders don't advertise the high APR, and they also don't tell you about rollovers. They leave it to your best judgment that you know how to handle your affairs. Unfortunately, many Americans are irresponsible lenders, and they end up defaulting on the loans. Delinquency rates for payday loans continue to rise, with more than 20% of loans in delinquency status in 2019. When is it a good idea to use a payday loan? After reading the facts on the APR charged by lenders on payday loans, it's easy to write them off as a financial instrument. However, there are occasions where payday loans have a place in your finances. If you experience a medical or financial emergency where you need cash in 24 hours, then a payday loan is an excellent option. However, you need to use the instrument as directed and pay back the lender at the due date. Failing to do so will end up costing you on interest payments. Leaving the debt to snowball is a bad idea, and avoid rollovers wherever possible. Wrapping up, weigh your options before you sign. Before you accept the loan agreements, take the time to read the terms and conditions. Your lender will have to provide you with a copy by law. Pay attention to the sections about APR, and the rollover periods. If you do decide to go with a payday loan, make sure you can pay it back. Never take on debt you can't afford, especially in an emergency. Now, let's take a look at a real-life payday loan transaction. During a routine car checkup, a service attendant announces to you that it will take $500 to repair your car. Normally, this cost wouldn't be a big deal, but this month you had to pay your income taxes, and you took a hit. To make matters worse, you're supposed to go on a road trip in a week. Where are you going to get $500 in time to get the car fixed? You decide to head down to the place on the corner that advertises quick cash now. You've walked by it a hundred times but never had cause to go inside. You decide to give it a try. It's so easy. You're out the door in 15 minutes, and $500 will be deposited in your account sometime the next day. Sure, it cost you $50 in fees, but nothing beats that convenience, right, dot cash. We could all use a little extra money. 
a payday loan could provide that money but it'll cost you. That convenience is a $40 billion per year industry in the United. This is the industry of payday lending, and it's served by more than 22,000 locations nationwide. Booming industry. In 2000, quick cash companies in Washington state issued 1.8 million loans totaling $580 million. In 2004, with a large increase in the number of lending companies and locations, these numbers grew to 3.3 million loans totaling $1.2 billion. The purpose of payday loans. Payday loans are designed for people who need a quick injection of money before their next paycheck. The purpose of a payday loan is fast, easy money to take care of life's little emergencies. A payday loan is a short-term, high-interest loan. The usual amount of the loan is between $50 and $500. You obtain one of these loans from a payday lender, a company that often offers other convenient financial services, such as foreign currency exchange, utility bill paying and license processing. The process is actually quite simple. Here's the recipe. Payday lenders take advantage of banks' disadvantages. Visit a payday lender. These companies often have stores, but you can also apply by phone or online. Some lenders do their business strictly online. This is a no-bank loan application. Usually the application consists of your contact information, banking information, and employment information. The lender may ask you for the contact information of a few friends and family. The lender would call these references were you to not pay back your loan. Write a check to the lender for the amount you want to borrow, or, if applying online, pledge to pay the borrowed amount by a certain date. The lender will add the finance charge, or fee. Usually lenders express their fees in $100s. Paying $15 per $100 of loan is fairly common. The lender deposits the money in your bank account or gives you a check for the amount. The lender holds the check you wrote for the term of the loan, usually two weeks. When the term is up, the company cashes the check or debits your bank account. This pays back your loan and pays the lender's fee. Rollover, if you can't afford for that check to be cashed, you can roll the loan over into another term, usually another 14 days. The lender will tack on another fee. Ease and convenience fuel the allure of payday loans. One of the biggest advantages that payday lenders have over banks is their flexibility. Payday lenders have more locations and longer hours than most banks. Some lenders, such as some currency exchange locations in Illinois, are open 24 hours a day. And when was the last time you saw a bank open on Sunday? Bad credit. No worries. Payday lenders rarely check your credit. Coupled with the privacy and expediency of the process, this open-mindedness makes payday lenders very attractive to people with poor credit. In addition, the loan application process is fast. You can usually be out the door, off the phone or away from your keyboard in less than half an hour. Furthermore, you get the money in no time if the lender doesn't hand you a check when you apply, the money is usually electronically deposited in your account within a day. Payday loans may sound fine and dandy. So why doesn't everyone get one? Find out on the next page. The drawbacks to payday loans. The biggest drawback to payday loans is the price to the customer. Let's take a closer look at the fees charged by payday lenders. If you were to take out a two-week payday loan for $100 and were charged a fee of $10, you would owe $110 at the end of those two weeks. Look at the math. $10 at 14 days equals 71 cents per day. Okay, cents 71 per day may not seem like much, but what if you couldn't afford to pay off this loan for a year? 71 cents times 365 days equals $261. At the end of the year, on top of the $100 you borrowed, you would owe $261. That means your annual percentage rate, APR, is 261%.
The standard payday loan fee in many states is $15 per $100. How high can you go? $15 at 14 days equals $1.70 per day. $1.70 x 365 days equals $391. APR equals 391%. As you can see, for two weeks, a $10 or $15 fee is steep for what you're borrowing, but manageable. But when you can't pay the loan back after two weeks and you have to roll it over, your fees start to add up. Although most states regulate how much a payday lender can hold you accountable for over a long period of time, payday loans can be extremely costly if you use them frequently or roll the loans over for several terms. Some payday lenders offer other financial services, such as foreign currency exchange. The speed, ease and convenience of payday loans make them attractive to many low-income workers who live paycheck to paycheck and struggle to pay their bills on time. Unfortunately, when people habitually resort to payday loans to manage their finances, they inevitably sink further and further into debt because of the high cost of the loans. Banks, the federal government, state governments, and citizens accuse payday lenders of taking advantage of low-income workers. Concerned organizations say that payday loans are designed to profit from borrowers' poor financial situations. State governments have even passed laws to regulate this controversial lending method. Recently, Oregon placed a 36% APR cap on small loans, such as payday loans. Similarly, payday lenders can't charge higher than 36% APR on loans to military personnel. The Federal Trade Commission advises military personnel to seek financial assistance from such military organizations as Coast Guard Mutual Aid, Air Force Aid Society, Army Emergency Relief and Navy and Marine Corps Relief Society. Borrowers in Washington got some help in 2003 when new laws required lenders to extend an installment plan to a borrower after the borrower had taken out four successive loans from the same company. Next we'll take a look at some alternatives to the potentially costly payday loan. Even more APRs. Payday lenders in Alaska can charge up to $20 per $100 of loan. This equates to a 521% APR. The $25 maximum fee in Louisiana comes out to a staggering 652% APR. Payday loans, hints and tips. When you face certain financial challenges, a payday loan may be a wise and viable solution. If you face a long-term financial problem, however, you might want to consider other solutions. Shop around there are many different payday loan companies. Make sure you aren't choosing the most expensive offer. Open an emergency savings account to cover financial challenges. If your employer offers direct deposit, you may be able to deposit automatically 5% of each paycheck into your savings account. You probably won't even notice the difference, but the savings will be there when you need them. You've heard this a hundred times, don't borrow more than you know you'll be able to pay back quickly. Take out a small loan from another institution, such as a bank or credit union. Many credit unions, in response to the financial difficulties faced by consumers who have sunk into debt by relying on payday loans, have created short-term loans with low interest rates. Now, let's take a quick look at predatory lending. Predatory lending benefits a lender at the expense of a borrower. Practices include charging unfair fees and rates or setting borrowers up for failure. Many or all of the products featured here are from our partners who compensate us. Predatory lending occurs when a lender uses unfair or deceptive tactics to lead a borrower into taking a loan that carries fees, rates, or other terms that benefit the lender at the expense of the borrower. The term predatory lending is often associated with the subprime mortgage crisis that occurred in 2008, but it can refer to all types of lending. Some predatory lenders may target subprime borrowers those with credit scores below 630 and low income but anyone can fall victim to predatory lending. 6 Common Warning Signs Consumer advocates don't always agree on what constitutes predatory lending, 
but there are common warning signs to identify bad actors. Here they are. One is the offer too good to be true. Be skeptical when a company makes an offer that seems too good to be true, says Lauren Saunders, associate director at the National Consumer Law Center, a nonprofit advocacy organization. The price for speed and convenience may be high fees, getting trapped in a cycle of debt or being forced to give up your assets. You may see ads from companies promising to mend your damaged credit, settle your debts for less than you owe or give you a cheap loan despite blemishes in your credit history. Look for the catch before signing any agreement the price for speed and convenience may be high fees, getting trapped in a cycle of debt or being forced to give up your assets. Consumers should go into the loan transaction with their eyes open and an understanding of what will happen when things go wrong, says John Thompson, chief program officer at the nonprofit Center for Financial Services and Innovation. 2. What does the product truly cost? One warning sign of predatory lending is when a company makes it hard to know how much the loan will cost. A consumer-focused lender will be transparent about the total cost of the loan, Thompson says. When you navigate a company's website or visit a branch, you should easily find all the costs associated with the financial product, including prepayment penalties, late fees, and other charges. Lenders are legally required to state the loan's annual percentage rate, which is the sum of the interest rate plus upfront fees. Lenders are legally required to state the loan's APR, which is the sum of the interest rate plus upfront fees. If basic product information is missing or hidden in the fine print and the lender does not answer your questions, steer clear of the company. 3. Does the lender check my ability to repay? A lender that forgoes a credit check before offering you a loan does not assess how you've handled debt in the past or the potential impact of taking on more debt. Predatory lenders make up for that risk by charging high rates, typically well above 100% APR, and structuring loans with high upfront fees. Such high rates and front-loaded fees are considered predatory by consumer advocates because they add significant costs and make it hard for the borrower to pay back the loan within the given term. Rates below 36% APR are considered affordable. In practice, a predatory lender might not ask for information about your existing debts and income, push you to take a bigger loan amount than you asked for, have balloon or lump sum payments instead of fixed monthly payments, encourage repeat borrowing or rollovers of the loan. The Pew Charitable Trusts, a nonprofit that has conducted research on payday loans, suggests that a $500 high interest loan should have a loan term of six months to be considered affordable, a $1,000 loan should have a 12 month term. 4. Does the lender help me build credit? A good lender should report your on-time loan payments to one or more of the three primary credit bureaus, allowing you to earn a better credit score, lengthen your credit history and qualify for cheaper financial products in the future. Conversely, missing payments will temporarily hurt your score. 5. Does the lender require electronic payments? No lender can demand access to your bank account to collect payments, Saunders says. Many lenders request access to your account, promoting the convenience of automatic payments. A predatory lender, however, may treat your account like an ATM, making repeated payment requests while you rack up bank overdraft fees if your account is short. 6. Have others complained about the lender? Do your homework on the lender's online reputation, just as you turn to Yelp for restaurant reviews. Check its rating and customer reviews at the Better Business Bureau and see how many complaints are registered against the company. Look for the lender's name among the Federal Trade Commission scam alerts. Finally, check the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's complaints database. How to spot a good lender. An ideal lender checks your credit and ability to repay a loan, lends you amounts that match your financial need and clearly discloses the total cost of taking the loan. Lenders that are truly consumer first may offer opportunities like financial education and lower cost products over time. It also does not encourage repeat borrowing. Before taking a loan from a potentially predatory lender, explore other options. 
a payday alternative loan from a federal credit union, borrowing money from family or friends using a loan agreement, getting help from local nonprofits, charities, or religious organizations, asking your employer for an advance on your paycheck, or using an app like Earnin to access your earnings before payday. Some short-term loans cost over 20 times more in interest than the average credit card. And yet 1 in 10 Americans have used them. These small dollar advances, or payday loans, are available in most states, all you need to do is walk into a store with a valid ID, proof of income and a bank account. The balance of the loan, along with the finance charge, the service fees and interest, is typically due two weeks later, on your next payday. In the US today, these loans are a $9 billion business. In the past two years, 11% of US adults say they've taken out a payday loan, according to a recent survey of approximately 3,700 Americans. But while payday loans provide quick cash, the national average annual percentage rate is almost 400%. In contrast, the average credit card APR in July was 16.96%. One in three college-age Americans consider payday loans with interest rates of 400%. That can add up fast. For example, if you take out a $500 payday loan with an APR of 391%, you'll owe about $575 two weeks later. The loan cycle rarely stops there, though. Many payday loan borrowers roll over the loan multiple times. Do that for just three months and the amount due is over $1,000. It's normal to get caught in a payday loan because that's the only way the business model works. A lender isn't profitable until the customer has renewed or reborrowed the loan somewhere between four and eight times, Nick Bork, Director of Consumer Finance at Pew Charitable Trusts. Because of the potential financial pitfalls for borrowers, 15 states and the District of Columbia have laws in effect that limit the APR to 36% or less, according to the Center for Responsible Lending. But 35 other states are far more lenient. This week, Ohio's governor signed a new law, which goes into effect in October, that will cap the state's APR for payday loans at 60%. Ohio currently has the highest payday loan rates in the U.S. with an average interest rate of 667%. The average rates in Utah, Texas, Nevada, Idaho, and Virginia are nearly as high. For those who do fall behind on payday loans, the costs can be substantial and long-lasting. Some payday lenders will aggressively attempt to recover their money, like by taking it directly from borrowers' checking accounts, since borrowers grant access as a condition of the loan. These unexpected withdrawals by the lender can leave borrowers subject to pricey overdraft fees and damage their credit scores. Plus, it can be hard for borrowers to save while paying off such high-cost loans. Payday loans are dangerous and unaffordable for everyone, but borrowers who are just starting out or who are struggling financially they're the most vulnerable, Lisa Stifler, the Deputy Director of State Policy for the Center for Responsible Lending. In closing, states where payday loan rates are the highest. Alabama. 456% interest rate. Alaska. 435% interest rate. California. 460% interest rate. Colorado. 214% interest rate. Delaware. 521% interest rate. Florida. 304% interest rate. Now, we've learned a little about payday loans, now let's take a look at Loan Shark. A shop window in Falls Church, Virginia, United States. Some legal operations, like payday advance lenders, are considered loan sharks. A loan shark is a person who offers loans at extremely high interest rates, has strict terms of collection upon failure, and generally operates outside of local authority. Loan sharking is usually illegal, but predatory lending with extremely high interest rates such as payday or title loans is sometimes considered loan sharking. 
an unintended consequence of poverty alleviation initiatives can be that loan sharks borrow from formal microfinance lenders and lend onto poor borrowers. Loan sharks sometimes enforce repayment by blackmail or threats of violence. Historically, many money lenders skirted between legal and criminal activity. In the recent Western world, loan sharks have been a feature of the criminal underworld. Japan. The regulation of money lenders is typically much looser than that of banks. In Japan, the money lending control law requires only registration in each prefecture. In Japan, as the decades long depression lingers, banks are reluctant to spare money and regulation becomes tighter. Illegal money lending has become a social issue. Illegal money lenders typically charge an interest of 30 or 50% in 10 days. In Japanese, these are called to san, to meaning 10 and san meaning 3 or 10 to 3 or to go, to meaning 10 and go meaning 5 or 10 to 5 which is about 1.442 million percent or 267.5 million percent per annum. This is against the law that sets the maximum interest rate at 20%.9 They usually do business with those who cannot get more money from banks, legitimate consumer loans, or credit cards. Ireland The Central Bank of Ireland were criticized for doing nothing to protect those on low incomes, the vulnerable or who have low levels of financial literacy from loan sharks when it emerged that up to 100,000 of the 360,000 loans given by money lenders broke the law. Israel Loan sharking is one of the main activities of the Israeli Mafia. Malaysia and Singapore A long pamphlet found in a car door handle in Malaysia. A long, derived from the Cantonese phrase. Big ear hole, is a colloquial term for illegal loan sharks in Malaysia and Singapore. They lend money to people who are unable to obtain loans from banks or other legal sources, mostly targeting habitual gamblers. Often, they discreetly advertise by sticking notices, mostly on lampposts and utility boxes around a neighborhood, thus vandalizing public property, as authorities must remove such advertisements. They charge high interest rates, generally about 40% per month slash fortnight, according to anti-crime, drug and social development voluntary organization 13 and frequently threaten violence, and administer it towards those who fail to pay on time. Along tactics. When a person fails to pay on time, the along will set fire, spray paint, splash, or write threats in paint or markers on the walls of the property of that person as a threat of violence and to scare, and perhaps shame, the borrower into repaying the loan. A common use of painting includes the characters O dollar P dollar meaning O money, pay money, as well as the debtor's unit number. According to local police authorities, there have been cases where borrowers and their family members were beaten or had their property damaged or destroyed, and some victims have committed suicide. United Kingdom The research by the government and other agencies estimates that 165,000 to 200,000 people are indebted to loan sharks in the United Kingdom. Illicit loan sharking is treated as a high-level crime, felony, by law enforcement, due to its links to organized crime and the serious violence involved. Payday loans with high interest rates are legal in many cases, and have been described as legal loan sharking, in that the creditor is legally registered, pays taxes and contributions, and can reclaim remittance if taking the case to adjudication, likewise there is no threat of harm to the debtor. United States 19th Century Salary Lenders In the late 19th century US, the low legal interest rates made small loans unprofitable, and small-time lending was viewed as irresponsible by society. Banks and other major financial institutions thus stayed away from small-time lending. There were however, plenty of small lenders offering loans at profitable but illegally high interest rates. They presented themselves as legitimate and operated openly out of offices. They only sought customers who had a steady and respectable job, a regular income and a reputation to protect. This made them less likely to leave the area before they paid their debt and more likely to have a legitimate reason for borrowing money. 
gamblers, criminals, and other disreputable, unreliable types were avoided. They made the borrower fill out and sign seemingly legitimate contracts. Though these contracts were not legally enforceable, they at least were proof of the loan, which the lender could use to blackmail a defaulter. To force a defaulter into paying, the lender might threaten legal action. This was a bluff, since the loan was illegal. The lender preyed on the borrower's ignorance of the law. Alternatively, the lender resorted to public shaming, exploiting the social stigma of being in debt to a loan shark. They were able to complain to the defaulter's employer, because many employers would fire employees who were mired in debt, because of the risk of them stealing from the employer to repay debts. They were able to send agents to stand outside the defaulter's home, loudly denouncing him, perhaps vandalizing his home with graffiti or notices. Whether out of gullibility or embarrassment, the borrower usually succumbed and paid. Many customers were employees of large firms, such as railways or public works. Larger organizations were more likely to fire employees for being in debt, as their rules were more impersonal, which made blackmail easier. It was easier for lenders to learn which large organizations did this as opposed to collecting information on the multitude of smaller firms. Larger firms had more job security and the greater possibility of promotion, so employees sacrificed more to ensure they were not fired. The loan shark could also bribe a large firm's paymaster to provide information on its many employees. Regular salaries and paydays made negotiating repayment plans simpler. The size of the loan and the repayment plan were often tailored to suit the borrower's means. The smaller the loan, the higher the interest rate was, as the costs of tracking and pursuing a defaulter, the overhead, were the same whatever the size of the loan. The attitudes of lenders to defaulters also varied, some were lenient and reasonable, readily granting extensions and slow to harass, while others unscrupulously tried to milk all they could from the borrower, e.g. imposing late fees. Because salary lending was a disreputable trade, the owners of these firms often hid from public view, hiring managers to run their offices indirectly. To further avoid attracting attention, when expanding his trade to other cities, an owner would often found new firms with different names rather than expanding his existing firm into a very noticeable leviathan. The penalties for being an illegal lender were mild. Illegal lending was a misdemeanor, and the penalty was forfeiture of the interest and perhaps the principal as well. But these were only ever imposed if the borrower sued, which he typically could not afford to do. Opposition to salary lenders was spearheaded by social elites, such as businessmen and charity organizations. Businessmen were encouraged not to fire employees who were indebted to loan sharks so that the loan sharks could not blackmail their debtors, pay up or will tell your boss that you're a deadbeat and you'll be fired. Charities provided legal support to troubled borrowers. This fight culminated in the drafting of the Uniform Small Loan Law, which brought into existence a new class of licensed lender. The law was enacted, first in several states in 1917, and was adopted by all but a handful of states by the middle of the 20th century. The model statute mandated consumer protections and capped the interest rate on loans of $300 or less at 3.5% a month, 42% a year, a profitable level for small loans. Lenders had to give the customer copies of all signed documents. Additional charges such as late fees were banned. The lender could no longer receive power of attorney or confession of judgment over a customer. These licensing laws made it impossible for usurious lenders to pass themselves off as legal. Small loans also started becoming more socially acceptable, and banks and other larger institutions started offering them as well. 20th Century Gangsters In the 1920s and 1930s, American prosecutors began to notice the emergence of a new breed of illegal lender that used violence to enforce debts. The new small lender laws had made it almost impossible to intimidate customers with a veneer of legality, and many customers were less vulnerable to shaming because they were either self-employed or already disreputable. Thus, Violence was an important tool, though not their only one. 
These loan sharks operated more informally than salary lenders, which meant more discretion for the lender and less paperwork and bureaucracy for the customer. They were also willing to serve high-risk borrowers that legal lenders wouldn't touch. Threats of violence were rarely followed through, however. One possible reason is that injuring a borrower could have meant he couldn't work and thus could never pay off his debt. Many regular borrowers realized the threats were mostly bluffs and that they could get away with delinquent payments. A more certain consequence was that the delinquent borrower would be cut off from future loans, which was serious for those who regularly relied on loan sharks. One important market for violent loan sharks was illegal gambling operators, who couldn't expose themselves to the law to collect debts legally. They cooperated with loan sharks to supply credit and collect payments from their punters. Thieves and other criminals, whose fortunes were frequently in flux, were also served, and these connections also allowed the loan sharks to operate as fences. Another type of high-risk customer was the small businessman in dire financial straits who couldn't qualify for a legal loan. Violent loan sharking was typically run by criminal syndicates, such as the mafia. Many of these were former bootleggers who needed a new line of work after the end of prohibition. Towards the 1960s, loan sharks grew ever more coordinated, and could pool information on borrowers to better size up risks and ensure a borrower did not try to pay off one loan by borrowing from another loan shark. The fearsome reputation of the mafia or similar large gang made the loan shark's threat of violence more credible. Mafia links. Origins in salary buying, 1920 criminalization. Although the reform law was intended to starve the loan sharks into extinction, this species of predatory lender thrived and evolved. After high-rate salary lending was outlawed, some bootleg vendors recast the product as salary buying. They claimed they were not making loans but were purchasing future wages at a discount. This form of loan sharking proliferated through the 1920s and into the 1930s until a new draft of the uniform small loan law closed the loophole through which the salary buyers had slipped. Salary buying loan sharks continued to operate in some southern states after World War II because the usury rate was set so low that licensed personal finance companies could not do business there. Post-criminalization Organized crime began to enter the cash advance business in the 1930s, after high-rate lending was criminalized by the Uniform Small Loan Law. The first reports of mob loan sharking surfaced in New York City in 1935, and for 15 years, underworld money lending was apparently restricted to that city. There is no record of syndicate juice operations in Chicago, for instance, until the 1950s. In the beginning, underworld loan sharking was a small loan business, catering to the same population served by the salary lenders and buyers. Those who turned to the bootleg lenders could not get credit at the licensed companies because their incomes were too low or they were deemed poor risks. The firms operating within the usury cap turned away roughly half of all applicants and tended to make larger loans to married men with steady jobs and decent incomes. Those who could not get a legal loan at 36% or 42% a year could secure a cash advance from a mobster at the going rate of 10% or 20% a week for small loans. Since the mob loans were not usually secured with legal instruments, debtors pledged their bodies as collateral. In its early phase, a large fraction of mob loan sharking consisted of payday lending. Many of the customers were office clerks and factory hands. The loan fund for these operations came from the proceeds of the numbers racket and was distributed by the top bosses to the lower echelon loan sharks at the rate of 1% or 2% a week. The 1952 B-Flick Loan Shark, starring George Raft, offers a glimpse of mob payday lending. The waterfront in Brooklyn was another site of extensive underworld payday advance operations around mid-century. 1960s heyday, present. Over time, mob loan sharks moved away from such labor-intensive rackets. By the 1960s, the preferred clientele was small and medium-sized businesses. Business customers had the advantage of possessing assets that could be seized in case of default, or used to engage in fraud or to launder money. 
Gamblers were another lucrative market, as were other criminals who needed financing for their operations. By the 1970s, mob salary lending operations seemed to have withered away in the United States. At its height in the 1960s, underworld loan sharking was estimated to be the second most lucrative franchise of organized crime in the United States after illegal gambling. Newspapers in the 1960s were filled with sensational stories of debtors beaten, harassed, and sometimes murdered by mob loan sharks. Yet careful studies of the business have raised doubts about the frequency with which violence was employed in practice. Relations between creditor and debtor could be amicable, even when the vig or juice was exorbitant, because each needed the other. FBI agents in one city interviewed 115 customers of a mob loan business but turned up only one debtor who had been threatened. None had been beaten. Non-mafia sharks. Organized crime has never had a monopoly on black market lending. Plenty of vest pocket lenders operated outside the jurisdiction of organized crime, charging usurious rates of interest for cash advances. These informal networks of credit rarely came to the attention of the authorities but flourished in populations not served by licensed lenders. Even today, after the rise of corporate payday lending in the United States, unlicensed loan sharks continue to operate in immigrant enclaves and low-income neighborhoods. They lend money to people who work in the informal sector or who are deemed to be too risky even by the check-cashing creditors. Some beat delinquents while others seize assets instead. Their rates run from 10% to 20% a week, just like the mob loan sharks of days gone by. Non-standard lenders in the United States. In the United States, there are lenders licensed to serve borrowers who cannot qualify for standard loans from mainstream sources. These smaller, non-standard lenders often operate in cash, whereas mainstream lenders increasingly operate only electronically and will not serve borrowers who do not have bank accounts. Terms such as subprime lending, non-standard consumer credit citation needed, and payday loans are often used in connection with this type of consumer finance. The availability of these services has made illegal, exploitative loan sharks rarer, but these legal lenders have also been accused of behaving in an exploitative manner. For example, payday loan operations have come under fire for charging inflated service charges for their services of cashing a payday advance, effectively a short-term, no more than one or two weeks, loan for which charges may run 3-5% to of the principal amount. By claiming to be charging for the service of cashing a paycheck, instead of merely charging interest for a short-term loan, laws that strictly regulate money lending costs can be effectively bypassed. Payday Lending Licensed payday advance businesses, which lend money at high rates of interest on the security of a postdated check, are often described as loan sharks by their critics due to high interest rates that trap debtors, stopping short of illegal lending and violent collection practices. Today's payday loan is a close cousin of the early 20th century salary loan, the product to which the shark epithet was originally applied, but they are now legalized in some states. A 2001 comparison of short-term lending rates charged by the Chicago Outfit Organized Crime Syndicate and payday lenders in California revealed that, depending on when a payday loan was paid back by a borrower, generally 1-14 to 14 days, the interest rate charged for a payday loan could be considerably higher than the interest rate of a similar loan made by the Organized Crime Syndicate. <laughs> what y'all think about that? Hmm? Payday loans. Now let me tell you something now. I can recall back in Michigan when I came out of my divorce, my, my, it was my second divorce. <laughs> hey, you know, I gotta can't keep count sometimes. But my second divorce I came out of, and I was living in this place called Roseville, and um, I had bought this house. It, it was it was an emotional buy. It was an investment property. I had bought it. Like I said, it was an emotional buy because I shouldn't have bought it because I was coming off that divorce and my mind wasn't totally right yet. But I ended up buying that house in Roseville, and uh, at first it turned into a money pit. But then I got my money out of it. But 
I just came out of divorce and like maybe the next week I bought that house and that house needed a lot of work, more work than I can imagine at that time. And I had paid this old boy, these two old boys, a black boy and a white boy. They had a white van. I paid them boys because I was working at night at Michigan truck. So in the daytime, they had plenty of time to work on the house. I paid them boys $2,000 to do my drywall and my to drywall the whole house. Well, what them boys did was them boys went to Home Depot. I mean, uh, yeah, it was Home Depot. It was closer. Went to Home Depot. They got all the drywall and all the, all the, uh, all the stuff, do the drywall, nails, all that stuff. They bought all that stuff and they put it in the house, but they never came back to do my job. Never came back. So you pretty much say I got ripped off $2,000. But see, it was my own fault because I didn't vent. I didn't vent them people. So I'm saying, because I had too much going on at the time. When you when you coming off of a situation, especially like a divorce or anything, anything traumatic like that, you shouldn't make any decision, especially no big money decision like purchasing a house or buying a car or doing anything because your mind ain't right. And this was two days after. Matter of fact, it wasn't my divorce. It was me and my second wife. We had separated, right? We had separated. And I called myself getting my own place and I bought this place. Now I moved into it, right? Not thinking that I was going to do the work, but I would just hire some. I would farm the work out in the daytime while I work at night. But it ended up when these boys ripped me off, it ended up that I had to start doing the work myself. And the house turned into a real money pit. And I remember I went to um, I went to this loan. I went to this payday loan. As a matter of fact, I was up at Church's Chicken over on Eight Mile Road in Detroit. And right down from Church's Chicken, I saw this thing called payday loan. It was my first time ever hearing anything about payday loan. Never heard about payday loans, right? So I was going through a little tight spot at the time. So I went up there and I went and got a payday loan. It was my first one. I think I got it like for $100. I got a $100 payday loan, right? And when I got paid, I think I paid like $125 back. I think I must have got like two payday loans, and then I stopped that crap. Because, Dean, because, you know, if you default on a payday, payday loans or you roll over, like they say, like you just heard, you can get yourself in a jam. I didn't really know what the interest rates were at that time. But, see, I always been a type of person, if I get something from somebody, I pay it back on time. I never get what I can't pay back. So I never got in trouble messing around with these payday loans because of my mentality. But you have some people that don't have that mentality that think that they can just get money from somebody and pay them a little bit what they owe, roll it over a little bit. And that's how they get in trouble with these payday loans. Now, these high interest rates is just crazy that they pay. They charge me high interest. It's just crazy what they charge on these payday loans. But then I got to think about it. I don't think it's predatory personally. Because see, here's the here's the, but, but but here's the ironic thing about this thing, banks banks won't get into per se payday loans because they're too risky, right? Too risky, you know. They don't vent, you know. Payday loans, like you heard, they don't vent the customers, the credit, you know. They don't vent it, you know. They just give you money pretty much on your signature and your word because they know you're gonna default. That's why they have those high interest rates on there. And banks won't get into it, but they allow a certain group of people to get into it to prey on these people like black people, uh, uh, blacks, uh, Hispanic, whatever the minority is, the underclass who know that they who who going to be in financial trouble. They farm it out to a certain group of their buddies to prey on pretty on, on, on pretty much low income people. Right. The banks can't do it. But they allow their buddies, per se, to do it. 
Now, if you got a buddy that got a big money, he can't loan you money because he's a loan shark. But see, but a payday loan person, he's a loan shark too. But see, he just got buddies in high places. He, he got buddies in high places. See what I'm saying? He's endorsed by a politician or the government or something like that. He's sanctioned by somebody. He's licensed by somebody. Right? To prey on low-income people with these high interest rates. Because a loan shark can't do that. A regular Joe Bowl off the street who loan people money, he can't do that. But they're doing the exact same thing. It's just one is approved by the government and the other one ain't. It's sort of like Oxycot, them drugs. You can get you can get pharmaceutical drugs with a prescription, and you can get that same uh, that same drug, non pharmaceutical, on the street. You see what I'm saying? The government always picking winners and losers, and a, and a payday loan place like them Amscots and all of them. These they they are predators. They yes, they are predators. Now I know you say, well, folks. It's supposed to have a choice. When they go in there, folks got a choice on whether or not they want to get that loan. Now, y'all totally right. Folks got a choice. But let me tell you something. But when 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 when, when folks got alcoholic problems, when folks got folks got drug problems, when folks belly are hungry, when folks when folks are under stressful conditions where they need money to do something, they're gonna take a chance. They're gonna roll the dice. I guess you could say, what is it better? Is it better not having an avenue for these folks to get money? Right? Or is it better to have an avenue for them to get money but charge them a high interest rate? I don't know the answer that it fits everybody's situation. But I'm just saying it should be a cap on these interests that these people charge folks. Because only because they, they are predators. When you can charge 400% interest, 300% interest, 500% interest, you are a predator. There's no cost of that. Charge the folks 36% interest or something like that, or 40% interest, or anything under 50%. You're still going to make money. And then don't let them keep rolling over, rolling over, rolling over. Stop the rollover at some point. You know, I know it's a risky business, and what y'all didn't catch in that was that in 2008, when the economy crashed, part of what part of what caused this is that's not, just not the home crashes, the homes it was it was all these loans, these predatory, these predatory loans that came due and people couldn't pay back because because these uh, payday loan people, as you heard, they have insurance. The bank they insured by the bank, ain't that crazy? The banks can't can't do what pay won't do what payday loan folks do because of the risk, but the bank will insure the payday loan folks. So you go out here, right? It's, it's like it's like you like like. like you do it like this. You tell your boy, you say, look here, man. Look here, man. I want, I can't loan that dude over there no money, right? I can't do it because, you know, they watching me. But I want you to do it, right? You go out there and do it, right? And you charge a high interest rate. There's no caps on the interest rate. But if they don't pay you back because I know how risky it is, I'll insure you your loss, Right? So they buddy go out there and make these loans to these people who they know they can't pay back because they're going to get some money, right? But then when the, when the economy defaulted, right, they couldn't get that money, they were insured. So the government had to pay them back along with, 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 uh, with, with, uh, with, with all the houses default. And the crazy thing about that is that the government paid 300 some million dollars to write a billion dollars 
to right size all these companies that lost money in, in on the real estate for these houses, but the people who are in the houses still own on the house. That's crazy. If the government paid y'all off with our taxpayer money, then why do we don't own our house? These are predators. But then again, how can I argue with that? How can I argue with that? But again, when you're in a situation where you don't read the, you don't read the fine pen, again, like I told you on my other talk, they put a stack of paper in front of you, you don't read it because you're so desperate to have that money, you don't read it. I understand people get themselves in financial situations. I understand that 100%. But at the same time, you get yourself in a situation, don't compound your situation. Don't compound it because you're looking at what's in front of you instead of looking at what's in the head ahead of you that you got to pay back. Now, some people don't care. But then my thing of it is, don't be crying about when the debt when the debt come due, because you went to these payday loan people and you got that you got their money and you know it's a high interest rate whether they tell you or not, because I know you heard rumors about it. So when that money's come due, you got to pay it. You got to pay what you owe. My whole thing about this is that I know that that's like if I goes out here right now and borrow money from a loan shark, like to tell y'all in Japan, you borrow money from a loan shark in Japan. They tear you up. They put some blows on your body. Or they put some blows on your mama body. They got to get their money back. Because you owe them. The only thing these payday loan places like Amscot can't do is they can't put no bodily harm on you. But they can do other things for you. Uh, they, other can, they, uh, can, they can do other things to you to put pressure on you to make, them, make you pay their money back. And I'm going to tell you something, in my personal opinion, they really don't care if they had to get their money back or not because they insured. They insured and the government backs them. That's, this is the craziest thing to me. If they, they go out here and charge 40% on loan knowing that you can't pay no 40% back. And if you default on that, then the government or the, or, or the insurance co or the banks is going to make them whole. And they're going to make them whole and then they're going to charge the Federal Reserve or the Central Bank. The bank will charge the bank is going to charge the central bank for defaulting on that loan, and the central bank is going to make the bank whole. But these people don't care that when they charge that, they know they don't get all their money back. They got this whole system set up, man. They got this money. I keep telling y'all, y'all need to learn this this money thing. Y'all need to learn this money thing. I think I know information here. I try to bring y'all. Try to talks about money. And give y'all some background on this thing so you can understand what these folks are doing. This whole system, this whole system is 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 is, is predatory. The whole whole financial system is predatory. I, I've been trying to figure out here lately, I've been saying to myself, you know, there's something that I'm missing. It's something that I'm missing in this whole thing. When this whole money thing, this paper, this fiat was injected. We got so addicted, so addicted to this paper that we lost all fin physical uh, 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 financial thinking, our mentality. We just got all, only thing we know is money, 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 money. We got to get that medium of exchange. We lost the whole principle behind it. I've I, I been trying to figure out what's going on. 
it's like I'm going to share something with y'all right now that it came to me. I was thinking to myself about this money thing. I'm saying to myself, well, people are buying up whole countries. They're buying up land for something that, that's not even real. Something that's only in your imagination. Only, only, only that's only you think you can do some do something for you because it has right knowing they said it's backed by the government. Think about this thing. How people are accumulating material things over over numbers and paper that don't exist. Because you think when you you when you get in the head, it can do something for you. It can, it can, you can go to Walmart with it and buy you some boudin or buy you some, some Gatorade or Powerade. You got that little plastic car you can put in the machine. You don't, you don't see nothing. Wildlife magic. You walk out the door with bags. It's a silly system. It's a confidence system. And then on the world market, right? On the world market, the countries argue between the two of them. My 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 money is more valuable than your money. That's like what China did. The reason why people mad at China, you know why people mad at China? Why governments are mad at China? Because it's not so much the governments are mad at China. It's because the bankers, the money people, the IMF, they're mad at China because they don't know what to value. They don't know what or how to value the Chinese money. Chinese got their own money. Y'all, do y'all know how this system works? Chinese got their own money. They create their own money. They create the value of their own money. It's just paper. But China, you look at China goods and service and their GDP, they're, they're a manufacturing powerhouse. When you create something, when you create something tangible, and when you have a workforce that's working, the value of your money goes up. But they can't value China money because China won't play with them with their money. That's why they're mad at China because China won't value their money. That's the reason why when China get all, when, 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 when America buys something from China, right? When you folks buy something from China with your per se dollars, there's exchanges being done in the background, right? And when them dollars per se go to China, I'm going to simplify it for y'all. When them dollars go to China, them dollars can't do nothing to China. China don't care nothing about them dollars. Them dollars only a value in the United States. That's the reason why when, when, when America owed China so much money, that's why China takes that money and they buy a building in New York City or they buy up land in America. Because that money at American dollar is only the valuable to the um, to America, only valuable here. And if they use that American dollar in China to buy something, they're giving that money to somebody who has investments over here to use that dollar because it ain't no good in China. When last time you stop you shop you shop with a Chinese dollar over in America, you get your Chinese dollar right now and go to some American store. And just try to buy something with it. They'll run you out there with a pitchfork. It ain't no valuable. Chinese money ain't no valuable here. 
But if you somebody who trade and do trade in business in China, you take that. Somebody give you some Chinese money over here. You take that money because you go to China next week or you invest in, in China on their market. That's where it's only valuable at. They say the American dollar is the highest, the highest one. Yeah, it's the highest one dollar in the world because you know what? Everybody want to get here. Everybody want to invest here. So if you Mexico somewhere and you get American dollar, which is worth more than a peso, whoever you're giving that money to, now that, and as I tell you, that money is going to be used to buy something back over here in America. That's what they see on these movies. These people got these big old votes of stacked up with dollars on crates. This dollar's full of money. Which they, which, what do you think they're doing with that money? They're trying to get that money clean so they can buy something over here in America with it. Because they can't buy nothing in Mexico with it. Because if they buy something in Mexico with what they get into in Mexico, now doesn't that person have investments over here in the United States? That's the only that's the only reason. That's what China does. They buy up everything over here. There's no value to their money. Yes, everybody wants the American dollar because of the perception. The perception that the American dollar for so many years has been the strongest dollar in the world. But we have losing our we are we have lost our manufacture base. We are a consumer, we're not a producer anymore. Everyone knows when the producer names the tune, the consumer has to dance. We are consumer, we dancing. We 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 just like we got blackface on. We dancing. We a consumer. We are a consumer based market. George Bush did that. That that's what George Bush, last Bush W. That was his vision to turn us into a consumer based market. Most super thing in the world when you when you lose your manufacturing base, you don't produce anything. You had to buy masks from China for coronavirus. People making big money off of uh, these masks now. I was listening to podcast them folks down in Silicon Valley in Valley. They was used to those uh, 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 venture capitalists in Silicon Valley. They took their money out, out of VC venture capitalists and technology and put their money into buying masks. That's why they want you to wear a mask because people is making them big money off that mask. And China shipped them over here by the boatload. The most craziest thing in the world. They got to get rid of all the masks. Now they got you wearing masks. Mask, mask, mask. They don't have you masks for your protection. They got you wearing a mask because people are making big money off it. That's where the new investment is at. Come on, folks. Everybody, not just pay their loan, folks. Everyone is praying off of the consumer. Paying, praying off of the low-income people. Paying off of people's stupidity. Praying off of people's stupidity. Now, then again, I say to myself at the same time, I say, well, you know what? That just ain't right, man, because people got a choice. Yes, people got a choice. Matter of fact, I was listening to this podcast and, um, they was talking about this, this this young girl who escaped from North Korea. And this little this young girl was telling us about how horrific. Stuff that we can't even imagine a phantom that goes on in North Korea. Stuff that we take advantage for here in the United States. 
like lights, running water. They ain't got none of that. Them people ain't got none of that. Only the top 1% have access to that. How the people are brainwashed. Almost worse than slavery over there. This young girl was that she was describing it. And I got to sit back thinking, I'm saying to myself, well, you know what? Out of all my talk about payday loans, about the bank, you know, about this and about that, we got some pretty good over here. The only difference is that we got some pretty good over here, but how good we got it, it started to decline. It started to decline. The girl said something very in, in, interesting. She said, she said that the North Korean government, their philosophy is if you keep the people poor and hungry, you can control them. They don't have time to be thinking about politics or getting off in the 1% business because their belly's hungry. Only thing they're doing is looking to survive every day. She said, you can't have a middle class there because if you got a middle class there and if people got running water, people got lights, now people are thinking about, you know, their, their lifestyle. They're thinking about, hey, we need more. We need more of this, 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 this luxury. Then the people start thinking about what the government doing when you got a middle class, you got people that's working and people got nice things. People got all the amenities. Like I say again, water, electricity. You go and flush the toilet and, and the poop go right down the drain. You don't even see a poop. You don't even see. You sit down there, you dump it out, you, you flush, you don't even see it unless you're looking toilet stool. But them folks ain't got nothing. And I got thinking about it, I say to myself, man, is that what they're trying to do here? Is they trying to wreck this economy over here to keep it, to get everybody poor and dependent? Like getting y'all that $600 that they just cut off? Like all the homeless people? I ain't never seen this many homeless people in my life. People just homeless. Not black folks too. A whole lot of white folks are homeless. That would get me. Not a whole lot of black folks homeless. A whole lot of white folks homeless. You go down there where I live down there, uh, where I go get my uh, kava, my kava drink it. That whole area is just full of homeless people. I ain't never seen that in my little city like that before. That look, and let me tell you something. 80% of them, uh, I would say about 90% of them are white. I ain't never seen that many homeless folks. And in California, they say even worse. Is they trying to bring, is they trying to bring us down like in North Korea? They know that what they're doing is putting, putting, putting folks out of business with, with this corona thing. They put small businesses out of business. That's the competition for big businesses. They don't, because you know what you can do? If there's no business for you to shop to on the street, you're going to shop on Amazon. You put money in Jeff Bezos' pockets. You see what I'm saying? You're shopping online. Corporations have, have, have monopolized online. You don't go, can't go to your mom and pop store anymore. Your food. You order your food online. You don't go to little, you don't, you don't go to grandma and get that good old soul food right back here on the corner. Cause see, they can't sell on the corner because it's coronavirus. So that person who make who makes his living with, with that little truck trying to sell him some food, 
he can't make no money now because of the coronavirus. And they're not giving him no kickback like they gave the corporations. Now, see, now I done got off on in some old totally left. Now, talking about payday loans. Now, nah, I done got off into some political. And I already don't too much like getting political. But I, I was sitting on the football and I was smoking this brick house of God. I was thinking about all this stuff. And I guess, you know, I guess just like they say is, you know, like, you know, sometimes if you know, if you and your old lady have a disagreement, you know, stuff start coming out that you've been harboring. And I guess there's just some stuff that's coming out that I've been harboring. I'm, I'm trying to figure this Corona thing out. I'm not saying that the virus ain't, ain't real. I'm definitely ain't saying that. Just, just, just like, just like I'm, just like I'm saying smallpox wasn't real or the blue blonde flu or plague or whatever they call them thing. There's always viruses and flus every year, every year people die. But to politicize something like this and put people out of work is just crazy. It's crazy. I know what y'all say, well, you got to protect people, the old people, you got to wear a mask. I have no problem with wearing masks. I have no problem with none of that. But do you see how this company, this country is being, has being brought down? Being brought down. And I, and as a little fella going to Louisiana, my thinking was always, man, you work hard, get a good education about the best you can, you do the right thing, you will get rewarded. There's going to be some bumps in the road. You just got to roll with the bumps in the road. But you'll get rewarded. But now it's like you ain't got to do nothing. And you'll get rewarded. But when they reward you with something, it's to take something away from you. It's like we're going to give you this with this hand. But you don't know what this hand back here doing. That's why it ain't good for a man to give you nothing. It's good for you to work for what you want. Now you want to pay their loan person for these people. You think they helping you. They giving you something. They giving you that money with their right hand, their left hand. They write, they, they charge you interest out the yang yang. That's crazy. Don't nobody give you nothing. You have to be, you have to be physically physical. Like the, like the physical year. Not physical body wise. Physical. Physical year. And y'all know I got Louisiana education, so I can't say the words all that good. You got to be physical, responsible with your whole lifestyle, not just with your money. Again, now I'm not saying money is evil. Money ain't evil. You need a medium of exchange. Again, I know this. I talk this. But it's just, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. I just can't wrap my head around it. How we get ourselves in the debt over something that don't even exist. I was watching this show Yellowstone, right? And this guy in Yellowstone, he got all this land. His pappy and all his pappy passed it down to him. He's going to pass it down to his kids. He got all this land. Thousands and thousands of acres. White man. I'm saying to myself, how did he get all that land? How he come from somewhere and come with Indians and all that buffaloes, Roman, everything like that, wolves? How he just come there and give somebody X amount of dollars and they give him all that land? 
years and years ago. How is that possible? Don't nobody have no right to all that land. That's like that's like me coming to your house. Coming to your house and saying, hey, I sure like this big old mansion here. You know, I think I'll stay a while. Matter of fact, I'm going to go give the government, you know, $300 for your big house here. And now it's my house. And you say, well, no, I've been here for X amount of years. Nah, you got to go. I gave the government $300. Who gave the government this land? But we pay for it with stuff that don't even exist. Something we create. They're like monopoly money. We, we pay for this with monopoly money. I might be getting a little too deep now. I might. I think I, I think I better pull back and hold my horse. I'm talking about payday loans. I got off in the Yellowstone. I just, I'm just looking at this thing. I'm just trying to figure out. Just trying to figure out how, how we we get ourselves into debt. How we how how we not responsible enough. How we need so much material things. Material. Hey, what we? It's not like. When you go to a payday loan place, and I like you going there to get food. A lot of these folks, I'm telling you, and I know, I watch these folks go in there. And a lot of folks going in there to get, to get money to buy food, right, to pay their bill. Now, they may get a little money to pay their bill, but they ain't going to pay that whole bill. And that light be $100, they don't get no people $25. They're going they, they gonna, they gonna to let the light company roll that, roll that $75 over, okay? I'm like say it's not like some of these folks going in there, you know, to get to get money for something life saving. Like you gonna buy food for your kids or buy food for you. A lot of people go in there and they get them pay their loans and they want to go shopping. They want to go. They want to. They want to go on Amazon. You know, they want to go do something. They want to go. They want to do something frivolous with. Now I'm not saying all, but I'm saying a lot of them. I said, damn, watch. I sit there and watch. I'm like, now what is they going in there for? What they what what is they going in that amp sky for? They drove they drove up in a nice car. How you ride? How you driving a Lexus and you pull up in the Am Scott? How you driving a Mercedes and you pull in the Am Scott? And the most ridiculous thing that I've ever seen, I see some of my own folk, my own black folk, come up there in them nice cars with them big shiny rims on it, way sitting up high. Music blasting, and they getting out of state car going in the Amscot. How you riding in, in, in that car with that pretty paint job with them big old 32 inch rims that you probably got from rental rims? How, what you going in there? What, what you going to Amscot to pay that long place for? You need to go sell them tires and get rid of that car. That's this guy's what I'm talking about. When I, when I this guy's that I'm talking about. This is what I'm when I sit up there and I look, look, look at some of the this the cars drive there. The, the the people that come in there. I'm just looking at all this stuff. I know they ain't going in there to get no money to, to, to pay no bill or to feed their family. I know it. It's just ridiculous. But it's there for you, right? It's there for you. Now my only my only regret is that I didn't get hooked up with something like that. I just got hooked up with some bank or something and started me one of them um, payday loan places, right? 
I should have did it. I should have did it. But, you know, they're they, they, they not, they not going to let me do that. They're not going to let me get in on that. I ain't going to tell y'all why, but they're going to let me get in on that. Put like this, I ain't the right color. <laughs> I ain't the right color to get in on, on, the, on that payday loan stuff. They got they got their click. They got their people. Predatory lending. That's all it is. But you got people that participate. People that goes in there and get them. And I sit down, look at I look at these folks, and it, it, it just saddens me how ill responsible these people are. Like y'all think I'm joking? They drive up there in them nice cars, them pretty cars. Two, three people get out there. Some of them, some of some of them look like they just got out of bed in their pajamas, going in there to try to get try to get some money. Probably go get the hair weave done or something. I don't know, but it just don't make no sense to me. But look, I'm gonna get on out of here. I didn't round. I think I didn't ramble on this on this little pod talk here. You know, y'all, I, I sure apologize tonight. I got all off track here. Like I say, you know, I, I started venting. Everything I be thinking about, I think I just start venting tonight. <laughs> That's all right. Y'all forgive me on this little pod talk here, but these payday loans things, like I say, you know, I, I call it predatory lending. Pretty much ain't no different than loan sharking. But at the same time, you got folks out there who needs money. You know, and by any means necessary, they got a little job, they can get some money. They don't care nothing about these interest rates. They just they just trying to get that fast money. But in the end, the interest rate catches up with them. Now I don't know how the, how them people how they get their money back. I know the guy on the street, he'll you know he'll be a breaking kneecap. But I guess they get their money by charging them high interest rate. And like I said again, they don't really care because they are insured. So if somebody default on that four hundred percent interest interest rate. The bank or the insurer is still going to recop them. It's like what I found out about uh, IGA. I, when I was in Delaware, IGA has has uh, at, uh, IGA headquarters is in Delaware. I didn't know how IGA was a, was a was an insurer was insured for some of these payday loan folks. Now IGA, I always wondered what that. Somebody told me they, they were a bank when I was in Delaware, but IGA is an insurer. IGA got a lot of money. They got a lot of money in 2008 and they defaulted because IGA paid on a lot of these payday loans that got defaulted. They had to back these people. It was risky business. Whenever you loan anything for somebody who doesn't have credibility, when they don't have credit, when they don't have a job, when you don't vent them, right? It's a risky business. They are going to default. But see, but IGA, IGA insuring these loans, they package those loans up and they sell those loans to like overseas investors. That's why when 2008 happened, it just didn't affect America. It affected the whole world because people in China and Europe had to be paid because of the people in China and Europe didn't get paid for these risky investments when they buy when they buy these packages from IGA and these other companies over here, then these uh foreign companies, these foreign countries and their investors are gonna lose confidence in the American dollar and the American system. So that's why Bush them had to take the American people tax dollars and make things right by paying the world with Americans' tax dollars. And all they did was just he bloomed the national debt because they don't care about the national debt. Why should you care about the national debt when you can just print money at will? Because people are going to believe it's worth something. 
There's no physical responsibility, not in our home or in the government's home. And what's hurting people today is these interest rates. You wonder why, you wonder why the banks, you wonder why the banks don't give you, give you 0.01% interest on your savings account. The banks give you that because the Fed has lowered the interest rate so low to almost zero that they can't make no money. When they loan money out, when the Fed or a bank loan loan loan, loan your money out, you're saying you got twenty thousand dollars in the bank, right? You getting zero point zero one percent interest on that twenty thousand dollars. You getting that because the bank take your twenty thousand dollars, loan it out to some corporation, some businessman, and you know how much interest they get on it. They probably get two or three percent interest on it at the most. With the interest rate so low, they can't afford to give you any money on your investment. That's why the banks don't give, that's why the interest rates are so low in the banks. Because money is so cheap. Zero percent interest. If you want people to make money, the interest rate has to go up. I know y'all hate it. You want free taxes and all that kind of stuff, but you so uneducated, you don't know the system. You will never make money. Your stocks is not going to make money because it's zero percent interest. Your savings account, 0% interest. Your CDs, if you get 2.3% interest on a CD, then you have to leave it there for about nine months, that CD, do get that 2.3%. If you got $20,000 in, in a CD in nine months, you, they're only going to give you almost $385. Because the interest rates are so low. Don't y'all understand, people? Stop crying about we want zero percent interest. No, you want you want the interest rate to go up. You want to pay a little bit more because smart people are going to invest and they're going to make money off that interest. But the feds and the government is so concerned about businesses leaving because interest rates are so high that businesses are not going to invest. That's stupid. That's because businesses got to think of this cheap money. Boy, I said I wasn't going to get off. I said I wasn't going to get off in all this. Look here. I had to go enough of y'all time, all right? <laughs> look, I took up enough of y'all time for talking about this money thing here. But look here. Y'all get a chance. Y'all stop off at your local cigar spot. Check out this Brick House Short Torpedo. Pretty good little, pretty good little stick here. Pretty little good. Like I say, I was have I would have this stick out for lunch or something like that. You know, it's not it's not a stick that I that I'd be smoking on. When I'm hanging around my fellas and we just chilling out, you know, talking what we talk about. If you want to go online, you don't go online and see I hope somewhere like that. If you want to get a bunch of them, you know, to put in your humor door. But like I say, it's, it's a pretty good little stick here. And uh, like I apologize again. I got all off on a rant today. You know, when y'all get thinking about money, mine just zoom off. <laughs> but look here, I'm going to get on out of here. Like I tell y'all always in closing, y'all take care of everybody out there. But more importantly, y'all take care of y'all self first. All right now.